Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this final leg of Season 5, I'm reading my way through every single goddamn page in The Revenge of Kang, the final module in the Time Warp Adventure series for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes role-playing game. And as I do, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on each page. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Revenge of Kang was written by Ray Winninger and was published in 1990. Today we're discussing page 8 of The Revenge of Kang. We're still in the friendly NPCs section, and this page wraps up our coverage of the little baby X-Men of the 1960s and their teacher-slash-warlord Professor X. Well, basically, it, the Professor X entry goes slightly onto the next page. It really shouldn't, but the explanation of Xavier's powers, it's like over a full column long. For a character who has already been written up in one of the core books, by the way. But uh, before we get to that, just for the sake of completeness, this page completes the stat block for Iceman. We're not really going to talk about Iceman, except to mention that Iceman, it says that he kept his powers hidden during childhood until his mid-teens when he fought a mugger. Which takes an awful lot of confidence when you are a young Bobby Drake and you are more of a snowman than an Iceman. Even in early superhero Bobby Drake days, he was still going into battle covered in snow. Uh, for, for what reason, I, I do not know. I mean, I guess he was only like halfway to learning how to turn into ice, but snow armor is not half as good as ice armor. But it, like, it strikes me that a lot of mutants have their powers first express themselves when the character does something uh, brave or heroic or helps someone, which is great because these kids do have uncommon courage, but they also have all of the usual teenage stuff, and so I feel like many more of these mutants should be revealed when, like, they try to use their powers to look cool and it backfires, or, my god, peeping. Your mutant powers first manifest in adolescence, typically. So, like, we're talking about maybe in the realm of 12 to, like, mid-teens is about the time somebody's mutant powers are showing up. So you have these secret powers, no one knows about them, and you're 13 years old. I would say a good 50% of mutants should have their powers revealed when they fuck up using their powers to try to see what a boob or, or a dick looks like in person. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not condoning this behavior. Any superpowered 12 to 13 year olds in the audience don't spy on people changing. That's wrong. I'm just being a realist. Like, it's not a moral judgment. It's just it's just real. I mean, you can't deny how many 13 year old boys do you think there are who would run into a burning building to save strangers versus how many 13 year old boys there are who would peek at a naked lady. If we were being real about this, Professor X would be running like a school for pervy children, some kind of correctional educational facility where you get sent after your powers are revealed and a peep gone wrong. There's an alternate reality in which most of the rest of this episode is me describing ways in which Iceman could use his powers to spy on people changing their clothes, but I've chosen not to go down that road. Instead, we turn now to Professor X, the headmaster of Xavier's school for pervy peepers. Professor Xavier is, of course, a powerful telepath. We've talked previously on the podcast about Professor X's personality, about the arguably mildly questionable way where he recruits children into taking on responsibilities where they could and often do die. But there's no space in this episode for that, just as there's no room left on this page to talk about Professor X's background and personality. It's just jam-packed with Professor Xavier's powers, the write-up of which is so fucked up that it, it actually made me gasp the first time that I read it. It's not going to have the same effect on you. I have a very close relationship with rules text at this point, and it knows how to hurt me. But just to give you a baseline, allow me to read to you from the Advanced Judge's Guide a commendably lucid description of the powers of one of the Marvel Universe's most powerful psychics. Quote, Charles Xavier is one of the world's most powerful telepaths with unearthly power rank ability. 
goes on to say some stuff about how at this very moment in the Marvel Universe, something was fucking with the magnetic field of the Earth and it messed with his powers. But anyway, skipping that. He can contact the minds of others and read their surface thoughts at a range of 250 miles without difficulty. He can alter the thoughts of other beings. He is loath to do so. He loses all personal karma if this occurs as well as generate mental illusions and induce imaginary paralysis in sentient beings, all with unearthly ability. So it's a power. It has power rank. Questions could arise about how this unearthly power rank mind control interacts with other characters' willpower and so on. That's why mind control, along with pretty much all the other superpowers, are written up fully in the Advanced Player's Book. This detailed write-up takes just short of a full column in that book, and I'll quote selectively. Quote, The target may make a psyche feat to avoid this effect, against the intensity of the mind control power rank. So you would need to make an unearthly intensity psyche roll to resist Professor X's mind control. Quote, an additional psyche feat is gained if the victim is placed in a life-threatening situation. That is, the situation threatens the victim. Furthermore, quote, controlling another mind is the psychic equivalent of breaking and entering. The hero loses 10 karma points whenever this power is used. So then there's a little bookkeeping about karma gains and losses and how you run a player character who's mind controlled. But that's it. Mechanically, it's pretty simple. This is a very complete package with all the various issues that might arise from mind control at the table, using a basic mechanic of the game. If you want to avoid getting mind controlled, you have to make a psyche roll at an intensity equal to the power rank of the mind control. Here's the text for the write-up of the same character that the author used in preference to the original write-up. Quote, Xavier must make an unearthly psyche feat roll to use his powers, with a minus one column shift for every rank of psyche that his target possesses above typical. Altering the thoughts of someone with incredible psyche would reduce Xavier's power by four ranks. He goes on to say, after correctly pointing out that, in the Silver Age, Professor Xavier was very free with giving people amnesia to cover up his various blunders. It says, quote, Any other use of the professor's powers to permanently alter the mind of another results in the loss of all karma. So, this isn't as long as the full write-up in the Advanced Powers book, nor should it be because there's already a full write-up of this power in the Advanced Powers book. It's quite a bit longer than the nice, concise, clear version in Professor X's existing write-up in the Advanced Judges book. Most importantly, these rules, I mean, they're the dumbest thing on this page, but that's not, that's not adequate to express my anger and confusion. My sadness, I am <laughs> looking now at my comment that I left on this page. I'm pleading. It says, quote, my God, please don't add another method of adjusting difficulty just for this one power. This is not how we do things in this game. The standard way written in the power write-up, where this is an unearthly power, so you got to make an unearthly psyche roll to resist it, and that's all, that's the way we do things in this game. Very simple. Here, what we do is, let me see if I can get this straight. First of all, in this scenario, Xavier makes the roll. It says that he makes an unearthly psyche feat roll. I can't imagine what that's supposed to mean, because his psyche is monstrous, right, which is one rank below unearthly. So if he's making a psyche roll, then it's monstrous. His power rank in this power is unearthly, but if he's rolling this power, he's not making a psyche roll. If what the author means, as I think is the case, is you don't roll this power rank directly to control someone's mind, you roll your psyche, but treat your psyche as having the same rank as this power that you're not supposed to be rolling, then that's fucked up. Just another quick reminder, the author electively chose to rewrite this power instead of leaving it the way it was. It then goes on to say, that when Xavier makes this unearthly psyche feat roll, whatever that might be, he applies a minus one column shift for every rank of psyche that his target has above typical. So you start with the typical power rank, and then you count up to the psyche that they have, right? So if they have an excellent psyche, 
typical to good, good to excellent. That's two ranks up that they have. You count that many ranks down from the unearthly rank that Professor X would normally be rolling, and you make a normal roll with no particular intensity on that column to see if you can mind control the person. This is bad for a number of reasons. The first and most obvious is that this is a super special rule just for this power that you just have to remember. You have to remember that typical is the starting point, and then you count up from that. You have to remember what Professor X is supposed to roll, not his psyche or his power rank, but his psyche that's treated as his power rank. You've got to remember that Xavier rolls instead of the target rolling like in normal mind control. Beyond that, if Xavier rolls and not the target, then the target doesn't get to spend karma in the normal way to resist. Even without that consideration, running mind control this way drastically changes the whole probability of success. I can feel your eyes glazing over, but just please understand from the tone of my voice that this is really important to me. There's an, there's a, an underlying beautiful, elegant system to this game. I'm not, it's not perfect, but there's going to be a probability of success and failure and different degrees of success. It's just about the same every time you try to accomplish something with your unearthly whatever. Whether it's your unearthly strength or your unearthly mind control, or you've got some weird-ass mutant power where you can give everybody in the room botulism while you're standing on one foot. At unearthly rank, it's all the same. You roll the same thing, same chances of success. Karma applies the same way. That's what I like to see. But the author doesn't seem to understand that by doing it this way, you totally throw all the numbers out of whack. Like, under the standard rules, uh, if a character with remarkable psyche and the resist domination talent, so they have effectively an incredible psyche, uh, rolled to resist Professor X, then that would be an unearthly intensity feat roll for them, which means they need a red result. You have a 10% chance of getting a red result with an incredible rank ability. So 10% chance of resisting Xavier. Under these rules, if just Xavier rolls, it would be, let's see, typical to good, good to excellent, excellent to remarkable, three column shifts down, which means we count down three from unearthly to monstrous, amazing, incredible, so that Charles Xavier is rolling with an incredible power rank. If we allow resist domination to apply as a negative column shift to Xavier in this case, then that would bring him down to rolling remarkable. Hard to know which way to jump on that, but Professor X is going to end up with about a 65% chance of success instead of a 90% chance of success. And you'll notice we had to do a lot more counting on our fingers, which is not only bad podcasting, but bad gaming as well. You don't want to give a player character a power that every time we use it, we have to reference one character stat, another character stat, count on our fingers to on the fly adjust one of the character stats to a different stat, consult the dice, then consult a chart, especially if the outcome of that process is to produce a statistical result that is extremely wrong. As you can see when the numbers get high, like if you were to run Professor X's power this way and run other characters' mind control powers according to the mind control rules in the core book, Professor X would get destroyed. Like, against somebody else who has unearthly mind control, but it's the regular kind, they would have an 85% chance to be able to mind control Professor X. He would have a 50 to 55% chance of controlling them. With the same power rank and the same power, that's how badly written these rules are, how much they throw off the numbers. And I could go on and on. Because this is technically a psyche roll, if he suffers damage to his psyche from, for example, being out under the blazing sun in Kansas for too long without sleep, does it negatively affect his power rank? His psyche did go down, and we're technically rolling his psyche, even though, per the rules here, we don't actually use his rank in psyche for anything. If we ever need to compare the intensity of an effect that Professor X is doing against something else, like, for example, someone tries to magically help someone see through one of Professor X's psychic illusions, under the normal rules, the intensity would be unearthly, because it's an unearthly effect, because Professor X has an unearthly mind control score. Here, Professor X's effective power rank is based on not exactly the numerical, but the numerical difference in terms of column shifts. 
of his own, not Psyche, not Power Rank, but Unholy Amalgam of the two as compared to the target Psyche, so that you would have to calculate that again to dynamically create an intensity for the magic person to roll against. This is, I cannot believe how bad this rule is. And what what frustrates me so much is that all you had to do was bail on it. I, I know that writing rules is very difficult. Not just getting the numbers to add up, but also to like trying to articulate it in a concise way in the space that you have in a way that's not going to be misunderstood, but also doesn't turn into legalese so that it's really boring and wordy, making sure that it plays nice with all the other aspects of the game system, which admittedly is easier if you use real rules that actually exist in the game. But I know it's hard, but if you, but if it wasn't working, normally you just have to keep pounding away. You just have to knock yourself out trying to get it exactly right. In this case, all the author had to do was say, well, fuck it. I mean, this character already exists and this power already exists. I'll just let Professor X's mind control work the same way it always has and as all other mind control does. I won't write a brand new specific patch on rule system just for the way Professor X's mind control works, specifically in the early 60s. All you had to do was quit, but you didn't quit. And now early 60s Professor X's brain is all fucked up, which is possibly why it says here he has an effective reason of remarkable in matters of electronics, uh, even though his reason is incredible. His brain short-circuited, and now he can't understand electricity. I hope you're happy. Professor X concludes the 1960s X-Men on a sour note, but the 1960s X-Men, as I've previously stated, were pretty sour to begin with. Join me next time when we turn to the 1960s Fantastic Four, and the author applies his already grossly inadequate skills at quantification to the astounding powers, intellect, and bank account of Mr. Fantastic on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's music, used under Creative Commons license, is Take Us to the Nearest Starbase by Astrometrics, whose work you can find at soundcloud.com slash astrometricsband.